Welcome to the Edges of Lean. I'm Bella Engelbach, and in this podcast, we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking, unusual places where lean thinking is practiced. We meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles. So come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean. Episode 25, Continuous Improvement and Getting to the Root of Belonging. My guest today is Sonia Lewis. You'll find Sonia on the front lines of many social justice movements as she works to change the many systemic, institutional, and structural inequities. For over a decade, Sonia has been on a mission to marry equity and humanity work with social justice and the cultural shifting of mindsets. At the end of the day, her battle cry is, the future is anti-racist and we all have a part to play. We're talking about the part the continuous improvement professional has to play in anti-racism. Sonia Lewis, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Thank you so much, Bella. I appreciate the time and the platform and opportunity to be here with you today. And I appreciate your time as well. And it's it's really been interesting to get to know you and to learn about what it is that you are doing and the direction that you are taking your work. Can you start out by telling us a little bit about Sonia? How did you get to where you are today? Um, what's been your path? Yeah, it's been an interesting journey to say the least. I can remember um, things in my background that have definitely influenced who and how I have shown up in spaces today, particularly um, my parents. Uh, Both came to and migrated to California um, for different reasons, but very similar reasons when it comes to opportunity, when it comes to race relations. My mother was a Midwest girl who grew up in the projects of Chicago. Um, Her family, unfortunately, was dislocated. They owned their home, they owned businesses, and lived in a um, segregated part of Chicago's um, um, West End um, during the 1950s. And when the big freeway project was brought to Chicago, their community was the one that was demolished. And so they were then all um, displaced and moved into what we now know as projects. Um, in Chicago. And she made it her mission when she graduated high school, I am leaving this place and I am never going to subjugate my children to live in um, an apartment. She she didn't even think about projects like, like that would never cross her mind, but even an apartment. So I had the luxury and benefit of never living in an apartment, but poverty was still very much a part of what my background and growing up was. On the other hand, my father is a very Southern boy from the state of Texas. You know, he grew up, all of his siblings, 13 of them were born at home. Um, Again, because um, folks in the black community were not allowed to birth babies in hospitals. and he picked cotton and, and other things that were crops there. They were, they were part-time sharecroppers. And his op- opportunity to come to California was when he was in um, middle school and high school. And he said, I'm following my big sister so that I can have more you know, opportunities than just working the farm. Um, I, I mean, just living and, and recognizing the things that my parents went through, it provided me with a very... Um, sustainable um, and direct and intentional view of the world 
and who I was and how I fit into that world. So at the age of seven, I refused to say the Pledge of Allegiance. I got in a lot of trouble. Um, mm. <laughs> but my mother was my biggest advocate and cheerleader. And I can remember verbatim when she came into that principal's office. She says, you know what? I'm standing with her. And I don't know what I'm going to do with her. I don't have all the answers, but I'm standing with her. And so that kind of was my beginning to how I then decided to go into things around and always gravitating to things around equity. Um, you know, that's long story short, I, I was a high school teacher for several, several years. And then I became an equity broker and an anti-racism impact strategist. So when you say equity, Sonia, what, what do you mean by that? You know, I, it's, it's funny. Sometimes people say, don't you mean equality? No, I don't want yes. the equal inequality. Equality. That is very opposite of what equity is. Equity is assessing the needs of individuals and organizations and communities and providing them with the resources that will make it at least an even playing field. And if I can be truthful um, and honest, equity is just the launching pad, right? The real goal would be liberation. Like imagine a world where we all um, could live and our resources that we contribute to the society that we pay via taxes um, and just contribute via the workplace, that if all of those things brought actual liberation to folks, I think that we would treat each other with more humanity. So when you go into an organization, to work with them on equity. And you also talk about belonging, which I think is, you know, doesn't sound like a very corporate word. Yeah. Um, how do you approach that in an, in an organization? I would imagine usually you've been invited in. Is that is that right? I mean, you're not- Absolutely. It, yeah. Yeah, so I most of my clients come to me by word of mouth or referral. And when I have that first an assessment session with them, it's a matter of getting to the root of where folks don't feel like they belong. And, I, and in those conversations, I attempt to um, convince the person who's the decision maker that belonging is going to impact positively your bottom line in production. And if, mm. if your goal is production and to generate more revenue for your business or to serve more people in community, if we're talking about a nonprofit organization, if we're talking about an educational organization, if we want to produce better, high achieving students, then we have to get at the root of belonging. And belonging really is a matter of people wanting to show up and feeling like they are a part of and that their voice is being heard. It's, it's almost like um, teaching people how to advocate for themselves and that their agency within that organization is important. But we have to teach people that because we have been conditioned for so long in America to be and work in this capitalistic competitive um, system that sometimes disenfranchises people and then they don't get heard and then they hate coming to work every day and then the work doesn't get done in the most effective way. So one of the things that the you know, that I've seen in organizations is that there are people who don't have a problem with belonging because for some reason that they feel as if, you know, they're going to belong, they're going to be listened to. And I'll, I'll give a shout out to Mark Graben, who is a, um, an, a, an amazing person in the lean community. Mm -hmm. And Mark has said, as a white man, he didn't realize 
he had never been to a place where he didn't felt that he didn't belong there right. or he he couldn't say something but for a lot of other people it doesn't feel that way Absolutely. so so you're going into organizations then and you're what you're talking about is really going to the heart of the of of a culture that is maybe invisible to a lot of people Absolutely. in the organization Absolutely. And so the first thing, the first, well, two first approaches that I um, try to leverage in the beginning is cure, one is curating a safe space for brave conversations to take place. Um, folks have to feel like that they are in a space where it is healthy and safe for them to open up and express and be vulnerable. Um, I use a lot of Brene um, Brown's work when it comes to vulnerability and, and blame and shame, um, because we in truly are living in a very um, urgent reality when it comes to um, the collision of two pandemics, the pandemic of COVID and the pandemic of racism. And so now that a lot of organizations are taking it upon themselves to not only acknowledge that racism is actually a thing that has harmed huge segments of our greater society that, you know, they want to put their money where their mouth is, but they just don't know how. And, and organizational leaders and corporate executives in particular mm -hmm. are struggling with the language. And so I come in one to first establish like this is a safe space. We are going to talk about um, social, social emotional intent intelligence from an adult perspective. And then we are going to create some dialogue around shared language and values so that we can see each other for who we are. We all come to the table with baggage and that baggage, those ex lived experiences are important to how people show up in the workplace. So Sonia, I'm thinking about the folks, um, a lot of the folks who listen to this podcast um, who are working inside organizations. Some of them are working as an internal continuous improvement consultant. Others are working as external consultants. And um, there's a massive opportunity there as they're working on process, which usually means you end up working on culture to also start to address and to move um, you know, equity, belonging, um, you know, really, really valuing each other for each other along. In fact, that's what we talk about in Lean, right? We talk about respect for people and, and yeah. this idea that, that human, all human beings are absolutely marvelous. What kind of work would a continuous improvement consultant need to do? But I, would, I would say, especially someone who's white, yeah. um, we'll, st we'll start there, need to do with themselves to start to get, um, I wouldn't say comfortable, at least start to get, uh, start the practice yeah. of addressing equity along with how do we make this process work better? Yeah, that's a good question. And so what I, I share with people is we have to remove self from the equation in the sense that this isn't a, an attack on individuals. This is a culture shift of systems, right? That there are some flaws within our system that we've allowed to perpetuate for several centuries. And it's now time to actually recognize that the flaws are harming everyone in the system. And so we can be a cog in the wheel or we can be a pathway to progress. And so what that looks like for individuals who come from privileged backgrounds and, and not always are those 
points of privilege um, and proximities to whiteness, it's not always white men, for example. It is individuals who recognize that they have earned college degrees or they live in certain neighborhoods and they see other people in community not like themselves. And so that's the, the, the disconnect and the dysfunction that we've allowed as a society. And so I always urge people to take yourself out of the situation because when you focus on yourself, you are always going to feel like blame and shame is going to be a part of, and, and it is going to derail any kind of progress. It is going to keep that barrier and wall up from allowing anything to penetrate. And, and the rational you cannot show up the authentic you cannot show up and so i'm asking people to be vulnerable and to listen and um just be present and silence is okay right silence is a sign of growth but also silence is indicative of violence on other people and we don't want to be violent towards the folks that we um, cherish within our teams so so when you say that the silence is is violence can you elaborate a little bit more on that yeah, when you're in the, the break room and you might experience or be the witness of um, a microaggression or an implicit bias and you say nothing, right? Mm. When, you, when you gaslight a person to believing that what their experience is not what, the, you, what you recognize of someone else. Um, and it's very common. I've heard it throughout my career. Sonia, it didn't happen like that way. That person's not racist or that person's not sexist. And I'm like, you can, you can say that from the lens from which you see the world, but from the lens in which I see the world is very different. And so what I'm asking people to do is to all, all, a little bit of walking in someone else's shoes. And so I do things like privilege walks with teams. I do things like affinity um, grouping so that people can really express based on their commonalities. Um, and then I report data back to the decision makers and the folks who can actually impact the dynamics of um, said organizations. But it is a matter of, at the end of the day, taking self out of the center of the equation and making it about shifting culture for the dynamic and system to work much better. Wow. So when, when somebody is working in an organization, what would you want them to be looking for, for signs that equity is, is lacking, that belonging is lacking? Yeah. What, what, yeah. what would be the, what would be the things that would, you know, we, we talk about and lean about doing a waste walk and be able to walk through, you know, somewhere and see the waste. Right. Yeah. So yeah. how, how do we develop those, what are the sort of the microscope or the glasses that we would have to start to see that um, as you work inside an organization? Yeah, I would say definitely start with your mission and vision statements in mind. I mean, lots of organizations around the world have these mission and vision statements that are so like um, just, I want to do this. We want to achieve this, right? but it's so disconnected from either the people that you serve or the people that you employ. And so one, you want to look at that mission and vision statement and make sure it is aligned with the people that you serve, your customers, 
and or your employees that you um, have as part of your team. The second piece of that is representation. I believe that representation, if we're going to talk about equity, we have to talk about it from a lens of who are we bringing to the table and not just who's the face of your company, but who is mm -hmm. making decisions, who are in leadership positions. What are the access points to um, moving up in your company and organization? Those things need to be reevaluated. But also, there's this third piece that I think gets lost in the sauce a little bit because we all have, um, you know, HR handbooks and we have policies and procedures, but every organization has a culture. And there's always that one gatekeeper that kind of dictates everything and how everything moves. And oftentimes I say, take the microphone from that one person and give it to and pass the mic around to several individuals so that we can hear the voices of many instead of the voices of few. And so those are three tips that I tell organizations. It is definitely not a matter of we have to deconstruct all the way down to the root. But for some organizations, it is a matter of getting all the way down to the basics because the alignment piece, what you want is your outcome at the end of the day is so off mark. And that's where we get to making some connections and building some bridges. But you have to align to something, right? So, yes. so I think what you're saying, you know, starting with the vision and the mission, where is this organization saying it's going? You, you can't, you can't understand what's happening at the bottom, yeah. or you can't put that into context unless, unless you've you've started by looking at what, what the intention Absolutely. of the organization is. Yeah, yeah. So, I think of situations, a lot of times when we're working on process, um, we're working on process that crosses departments we're working across a process that crosses you know different levels in an organization and um in leading and continuous imp improvement thinking we talk a lot about uh, you know taking silos away not you know making sure that we're bringing in the right you know the right people the people who are really involved in doing the work before you change the work. What might stop somebody who's been brought into that kind of work from contributing in the way that we would want them to contribute? You know, I really, I, at the core of, of all the questions or that I get asked, I always try to bring belonging back to it. Like if we yeah. can figure out, you know, how to incorporate a sense of belonging at every level, um, I think that people are more willing to show up in their authentic selves and, and, and do the work. I also challenge organizations and teams to evaluate their turnover, right? Um, try to figure out why people are leaving your organization, right? Um, it's interesting. I was working with a university system um, here in California and they for the first time figured you know they wanted to listen to some of their employees who have been saying for years we need to celebrate you know the fact that we have a diverse community but we really need to reevaluate how um, the lack of access and mobility within the organization is for people of color for women for people who are in the lbgtq plus community and so looking at those pain points for individuals is going to elevate the entire group because um, i'm of the philosophy when the most disenfranchised person in community has an opportunity to have access to and feels included and 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 has a sense of belonging that everyone within that organization is also going to benefit.
And so that is not a matter of what are we taking away from someone who has historically been in a position of power. It's a matter of sharing the space, sharing those opportunities to lead. So I'm thinking as as you as you're talking about that, or you know, I was I was thinking, well, you know, there are going to be some people who is, who will feel, and we do see this in society. If these people, if this person gets this time, this space, you know, gets to raise this particular flag, somehow that's taking something away from me, right? But what you're saying is, it's not. It's not really taking something away from you. I think because the organization as a whole benefits, and if the organization as a whole benefits, that benefits everybody Absolutely. in the organization. It should it should benefit everybody Absolutely. in the organization. And it's interesting. We are living in a time, unfortunately, that is extremely hypersensitive to just the ideations of race, race relations, white supremacy, and, and the white normative. And I would ask people to reflect on the fact that historically in this country, um, that there has been a certain group of individuals who have had the benefit and privilege of access and generational wealth and education and things being passed down from generation to generation. And because of the way the system is set up, it is also preventing other folks in community to have those same access points. And so it's not a matter of taking anything away from, we live in a very, I say, a rich resource um, country, right? Um, and so oftentimes we get caught up believing that it is a deficit, there are deficits. And I, we can't, you know, fall back on the sword of if I give up this for someone else to have a benefit that is taking away from me, there's enough for to go around for everyone. So when you when you when you're working with an organization, Sonia, and um, you start to see change happening, what are some of the signs that Ooh. the work that you're doing is starting to bear fruit? Yeah. So either one of three things happen, like um, the entire group begins to just create a beautiful different synergy, right? There is a welcoming when you come into that space that is inviting, um, it's fresh. Um, you begin to see the, the shift and in incorporation of, of various voices rather than one voice. The second thing that uh, sometimes happens in, in these um these shifts, these cultural shifts. And I say cultural shifts because we know that in, in order to make anything be impactful, at least for sustainable and long term, we're talking about one year, three year and five year. And these are commitments, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you think about children and how they grow up, what is that growth spurt at those ages, one, three and five? Um, we know right from wrong, psychologists say between the ages of three and five. And so we can begin to see, oh, that there are some pain points when people are not included. And so the second thing that often happens is the, the very opposite end. People begin to leave our organizations that don't feel like they fit because the new way of doing things, that culture shift is just causing too much discomfort for them, the individual, right? They're not taking into consideration the, the totality of the whole group. And then there's this middle group and it usually gets smaller and smaller until mind shifts begin to happen and take place. 
but there will be individuals who will be like, I'm not going anywhere and they will build a wall around themselves and then they will alienate themselves from the process. All three of those vantage points are important. They are important to reevaluate and reassess annually. Um, and then as we are doing those things on a regular basis, we begin to recognize that, you know, the shift is happening in a positive direction. And then also try to incorporate ways that we can bring in and, and ask questions as in the form of surveys of how are we doing? Let's do some barometer checks around how are we doing? Do you feel like we're making progress? And, and, and keeping that on the forefront of our minds as well. And that would be another opportunity then also for conversations and listening yeah. as yeah. well, especially depending on the size of the organization. I know there's some, some organizations you're never going to have a conversation with everybody right. and, and, and others. Yeah. The way you like that pulse survey could really, really make a, provide you with a some great data. Yeah. 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 So one of the things that, um, that I've seen in my work a lot, is in terms of belonging, we, you know, you've, you've talked about, about race, you've talked about, um, you know, sexism, um, you know, the other isms kind of playing their homophobia, um, someone, you know, different religions, different creeds, um, you know, they, these can all like, like get in between us or make us feel like we don't belong. But there's one that I don't hear talked about much. And, and um, you and I have not talked about this before the podcast. So so feel free to say, you know, I don't really want to talk about that if you don't want to. But that is, it's kind of a, um, a classism that comes out. Are you saying yes? That's good. That comes out of, of education where we will see, for example, I come from the pharmaceutical industry. You will see in, in some pharmaceutical companies that the people who are MD, PhDs really don't hang with, don't associate with the people who you know, have a mere college graduates who don't right. associate with the people on the line who right. may be high school graduates or, or not, are not, um, you know, not have the education at all. So I think that, you know, there's a definitely a class piece, but there's also this, you know, education and training yeah. piece. And I think we see it in, in engineering based companies too, you know, where the engineers, it kind of other the people. Um, I've seen it where people have sort of othered well, here are the strategists and here are the operations people. Well, you know, if you didn't have the operations people, the strategies, the strategy is not going anywhere. But this is othering that happens all the time. And sometimes I think that is mixed up with race as well, yeah. because there is clearly, um, you know, a, a difference in racial makeup between one group and another. Is that something that is valuable? I don't want to say call out because you don't you don't want to be maybe you do want to call it, but is that, is that something to, to, to make people aware of? I think it's definitely something to make people aware of. While it's important and imperative that we work on our teams to get the bottom line of whatever our goal and projects that we're working on, I think it's also imperative that we shake and mix things up and, and try to do that at least on a quarterly to biannual basis, um, at the very minimum on an annual basis. How are we um, creating teams so that you have one person from each of those departments or a variety of people from um, various departments to work on projects? Because at the end of the day when you have people from various vantage points being able to bring solutions, right? Because at the end of the day, we want solutions um, and making sure that we're providing the, um, the, the tangible deliverable to our client or to our customers, right? 
And so it's important that we shake that up a bit so that we don't get used to the same old individuals being the ones that we lean on. Um, I see this in the media industry. I see this in the medical profession. Um, I see this in the education profession where they have um, kind of mastered doing this cross collaboration pieces um, that work really, really well. And, and I would encourage other industries to consider that working in silos is also going to prevent you from having everyone feel like they belong. And at the end of the day, I, I always go back to belonging is going to improve your bottom line. Is it going to increase productivity? It is going to make people feel like they want to get up every day and go and tackle that one problem. You know, we're living under the age um, of um, trying to figure out this COVID thing, right? And imagine those scientists every day going to those pharmaceutical companies not wanting to get up and go to work because they were othered, but they know the importance of this work. Mm -hmm. So we have to think of things from that perspective. My work is important and my part of that work is important. And so I need to show up so that I can be included. On the on the sort of the the, I want, the sort of the flip side of that, we have people who um, I, is, are reacting to to this kind of work by saying, "Well, now I can't say anything. I can't, you know, I can't, I can't do anything. Everything I have to be too politically correct. Is this the term I'm allowed to use today? Um, how do you get somebody to feel comfortable? I think you alluded to this before. To feel comfortable saying, "I don't actually know how to do this. Right? Yeah. I don't know what are the right words to use." I kind of resent being told I have to I have to change my language or when I did this, it was a microaggression. How do you get those people to come along? Yeah, so there's two ways that I get people to come along. And one is um, super important and and um, I'm getting lots of calls from corporate leaders and, and um, execs right now. I'm not ready and can you help me get ready? Because I know that I the hammer's gonna come down soon that I have to do this, right? I have to do some equity work. I have to do some anti-racism work. Um, I have to do some, some gender um, equity work. And so I do a one-on-one -on -one coaching with a, um, corporate leaders and, and executives, just preparing them for what it means to be courageous and lead. And and to lead while learning, right? Because we don't have to know it all when we show mm. up in spaces. And we have to, you know, for some leaders, it's, you know, we've gotten into this state of being that we know it all because we've been with a company and, and, you know, they wouldn't have selected me if I weren't qualified. But if you take out the learning piece in, in any position, um, you are doing yourself and your company a disservice. So I would first start with, if there's corporate executives or organizational leaders who just feel like they're not ready, um, we have, we do some one-on-one -on -one coaching to help you get ready. It's, it's a matter of, you know, being confident in that, the fact that I don't know it all. And then the second thing that I would bring to the team in, in general is that we have to create shared language and shared dialogue and shared values around what we see is important. And so when we understand and the nuances, and sometimes they are nuances. And, and I say there are two things that typically are happening. Like there are individuals who are just unintentionally racist or sexist, right? They, 
it's just the way that we've been, you know, conditioned. And I can even say that as a black, dark skinned woman in this country, that I have privileges that sometimes I didn't intend for someone to take it that way. But because we've been conditioned to behave and speak and interact in a certain way, it has become the norm. And so we want to break down those type of barriers so that folks feel validated and that they feel important. And the only way for you to do that is to offer, like, what are the things that you're experiencing? Bring those back to the folks who are um, the decision makers, um, your leaders within those organizations, and then bring the whole team together to address those issues. But it has to be a safe space. It has to be one in which people feel like they can be heard. Which means that the the executive themselves has to create that safe space. They have to, Absolutely. they have to allow for the person to, for people to say the thing that yeah. perhaps, yeah. you know, that would be the wrong thing to say. Yeah. And that's yeah. a very tricky, you know, line to tread sometimes. It's, it's a very thin rope and, you know, you mm. can fall off one way or the other and offend someone within your organization. But I think the first piece that organizational leaders and corporate executives need to do, um, as well as organizations as a whole, whole is to acknowledge that acknowledgement piece will bring down the walls and the angst and anxiety of a lot of people in the room if you acknowledge that the issue even exist. So like, you know, since George Floyd, there have been lots of corporate organizations around the country who are throwing millions and millions of dollars at equity work and anti-racism work and saying that we are from this day forward going to create anti-racist <laughs> work environments, right? But what I'm seeing is um, the failure to actually make a commitment to the long term of the work, the long term that's required when you have a cultural shift. I have for a long time, I've been doing this work for over a decade now. And for a long time, I've said, I'm not your typical DEI company. I don't help you check boxes, cross T's and dot I's. Mm. I don't do a one and done because I know that people will go back to their old habits if they're not pushed and challenged just a little bit to be more vulnerable. And and that vulnerability is going to open up a person's opportunity to grow and see other people as they would see themselves. And we have to validate where we are at, at intersections. Um, everyone comes with a, a level of trauma and experience in their lifetime. And so we want to make sure that people can see the intersections and the value that we all bring to the table. It's, it's, it's really interesting because I... I I've been interviewing folks over the past few weeks and it seems we so we seem to come to the same theme every every single time which is mm -hmm. which is what it's about the leaders deliberately working on creating a safe space yeah right and and that is that's absolutely the last thing that some leaders have been trained or developed to do right that they've been trained to yeah. be you know to be a great market strategist or to be a great product developer or yeah. you know or, or to be you know the person who can get the venture capital for the for the company they haven't been someone who's trained to create a safe space yeah. and so i was i was wondering sonia if you were in charge and you've been a high school teacher, but if you were in charge in education, what would you be teaching in, in high school, in a college, in business school, and you know, a medical school? 
Oh my goodness. It would definitely be something around humanity and connecting folks. Like, so I have a background. My BA is in history and psychology. I have a dual degree. And then I have my teaching credential where I just love to create curriculum and develop programs. Right. And so I would be my focus, if I were teaching in some capacity, would be around um, building leaders, building future leaders to be cognizant and conscious of the so social impact of what it means to relate to one another. Um, part of my work, I do a lot of charity work. I have a nonprofit. And within that nonprofit, we always talk about things from a social justice lens. Like we can look at our community, we can figure out what are the things that are not right within our community, and then Young people are so genius. <laughs> I, I truly believe that. <laughs> they are so genius that they can figure out the solutions to solving said problems without all of the, um, the traditional means of having to go to this entity and this government agency and, and present something in such a professional way that when you get to the root of this is what the problem is and here's how we can solve the problem and do it within the community because we are enough to solve our own problems, um, is eye-opening for a lot of people. And I think that leaders would do themselves a huge service if they leaned on the people that are within their ranks because talent is talent. You cannot you know, ignore the fact that you have these people on your teams for a reason. And so it's a matter of listening. It's a matter of coming to the table and say, I'm here to learn too. Wow. Yeah. So, so you'd be, uh, you'd be running the, uh, the Sonia Lewis school of empathy. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> and I know some folks who would, who would want to teach in that, that school along with you, which is, which is great. Yeah. So I'd like to get back just for a minute to, to this idea of, especially if somebody who's, who's working inside an organization on process and um, you know, as I said, when you work on process, you usually end up working on culture because in order to maintain your new process, you probably have to change the culture um, of the organization to do that. Um, but I think it's easy for somebody going in who's working working on process to say, well, you know, that's my remit. That's what I'm getting paid for is to, you know, is to have the flow of the material move this way rather than that way and reduce the waste. Why is it important that people working inside organizations who have the opportunity to make change, why is it important that they also work on equity and belonging? You know, perspective is everything. The lens is from which we see the world um, and how we see structures of power. Um, are everything. Think about it from the basic standpoint, you have an organization and they offer X amount of benefits to their employees, right? And imagine a person who potentially is um, a single mom um, who needs daycare um, and, and after school particular so that she can do and show up in her best form of herself while at work. Um, but has to travel into um, a certain part of the city, which to get home is going to take a huge chunk of her day. And so thinking about ways that we can incorporate tangible things that are going to make her life easier um, within those benefit package. Thinking about if there were a person who were on your team who was part of the LBGTQ plus um, community and um, to be their authentic selves, they required a surgery that isn't covered in your medical um, plan. 
thinking about how you can make that more equitable um, for that person. Um, thinking about when we think about equity, when we think about, you know, just the, the sure notion of something ba as basic as restroom access, right? Mm -hmm. Women's restrooms tend to, you know, get fuller because we actually have to go into a stall and it takes us a little bit longer to do our due than it does men. And men can, you know, sometimes, um, depending on the man, um, be in and out, um, you know. As long as they wash their hands. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. But those are all equity issues. I mean, think about the individual who might be Muslim or Jewish and they have um, various holidays that come up within their, their faith and religion and they don't have the opportunity to have a space. You know, I have a son who's 27 and he has taken on the Muslim religion and there's a time in the day where he likes to be able, he wants to be able to practice his prayer and he needs to have a space in any job that he has for those five, 20 to 20 minutes to lay down his mat and um, say his prayers. And so that's important, you know, to people that's equity and that's a fostering of belonging. And so, you know, we might not have all of the answers and we might not say the right things all of the time, but it's um, an acknowledgement that humanity is important and that if humanity is important, that means everyone who shows up is important. And so we have to figure out ways to make sure that that talent that they show up with is accentuated to the best degree possible. And I think there's some really practical things in there that you said that really would impact even on the most basic, um, you know, continuous improvement work. So then if you're, if you're thinking about scheduling, are you doing scheduling in such a way that the person who has to take a child to daycare may have to take two buses to get in or may have to rearrange daycare if you rearrange their schedule without notifying them ahead of time? If you're doing that, that person is definitely going to feel less engaged, right? They're going to feel less belonging. They're going to feel less engaged and they're not going to bring their best self to work. And the same thing with space. If you're thinking about your son and other, other Muslim people, um, you're you're reorganizing the line in a plant. Can you reorganize the line to create some some space for for him, but maybe also for the nursing mothers? You know, well, how can you how can you use the work that we do in such a way that you can build equity? And then I think what you're saying is, once you start to build equity and belonging, then you're also going to improve the organization. The organization will be more successful because people will be more engaged. But you got to ask questions first, right? You, you got to find out. Tough questions. Yeah. You have to figure out. And it's, it's not a matter of, like I said, taking away anything from anyone else. This is about bringing access points for everyone within organizations. Um, I, as a former high school teacher, I can remember there was a time period when my boys were like staggered and it was like, I can't get them to three schools in a, mm -hmm. in a timely manner in order to be for a first period class. And I went to my principal and I was like, it would be really helpful if I can have a first period prep. I, I was, because of the, um, the position that I had, I was eligible for two prep periods um, throughout the day. And so I always had an end of the day prep, um, which was good, 
but the mornings were my struggle. You know, it's not a matter of, can I get up early enough? And can I have my kids prepared for a kindergartner? It's unsafe for them to be on the school campus alone um, if I drop them off too early. And so making those simple maneuvers to make sure that folks can show up in their best forms of themselves is huge to um, that that piece of production, right? I couldn't be my best self if my worry was, oh my God, did that one of my children get breakfast because we got there a little bit too late, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, just little things like that give a, a mother, anyone, some sort of peace of mind um, as they're going about their day and interacting with their work. Wow. So lots of ways that we can in continuous improvement move this forward and, and good reasons why we should do it, apart from Absolutely. it being the right thing to do. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so, Sonia, uh, can you give us uh, your website? How do, how do people find you? Absolutely. So my business is Ascribe, A-S-C-R-I-B-E, Educational Consulting, and we are at www.ascribesuccess.com. Super easy. Um, we are on social media, Facebook and Instagram, as well as Ascribe Success, and on Twitter as Ascribe Ed, E-D. Um, and we are, we're open, you know, feel free to reach out for, I tell organizations or, or leaders within their teams and say, uh, you know, feel free to reach out for a, a free consultation. We are here to just figure out what are the best access points to bring this kind of work and these kind of conversations to your teams so that at the end of the day, your production is at a higher level. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. So. What would be your advice, Sonia, to someone studying out in their career? You have, yeah. you, have, you have young people in your family. What's your advice to them? Trust your gut. You know, I, well, I have two creeds. One, one would be trust your gut. Um, your gut is very intuitive as to who you are and you should trust it. And then the second thing, there is a, an old saying that my grandmother used to say, and may she rest in peace, but I live by a closed mouth doesn't get fed. And it's this old country <laughs> philosophy of if you don't ask, you don't know who might tell you yes, right? But if you don't ask, you might know where someone stands in a certain, you know, on a certain topic. And so a closed mouth doesn't get fed. And I don't want folks to starve. And so I want to give people agency and opportunity to advocate for themselves. And so I give you permission, ask away because you don't know what the outcome might be. Great advice. Thank you. Absolutely. Sonia Lewis, thank you so much for traveling with me to the edges of lean. Thank you. This is Bella Engelbach, and I'd like to thank Sonia Lewis for being my guest on the edges of lean. What is your part to play in anti-racism? We'd love to hear from you. Find Sonia at https colon backslash backslash www www.ascribesuccess.com or on LinkedIn. Find me at leanforhumans.com or also on LinkedIn or comment wherever it is that you watch or listen. No matter how you travel to the edges of lean, your ratings, reviews, and comments are greatly appreciated. Please join me in exploring more of the edges of lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. 
You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Ages of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelbank. This is a Lean for Humans production.